Father, again, we thank you for your word, for the encouragement of it, to not to lose heart. Thank you, Lord, that you show us not only the beginning, but you show us the end. You show us Judgment Day. You show us the time when we will be rewarded. And throughout Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, you tell us not to lose heart, not to grow weary, not to grow faint-hearted. Lord, some of us are. Some of us have served, and we're tired of serving. And I pray that you would encourage our hearts. Encourage our hearts to serve others, to show our love for you as we treat others. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding in why we grow weary. It's not just about the physical, it's about how we're looking at life and how we're looking at eternity. So we ask that you would prepare our hearts, that you would help us to receive your word, that areas that need to be changed would be so that we would run the race well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, Junior church may be dismissed. Again, if you'd like to turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 6. This last week I had the great privilege of going home. I went home primarily to see my Aunt Joyce. She's my great aunt. She's, I think, 79 years old. Youngest sister, or one of the youngest sisters of my grandmother, who's in the nursing home with Alzheimer's. And that's why Aunt Joyce came up. She's, she's actually from Alabama. Grew up in New York, moved to Alabama. She uh, married Uncle George O'Brien uh, a number of years ago. 50 plus, or almost 50. Anyways, um, Uncle George, he died last year of Alzheimer's. And, and I knew all this, and I had, I had not been that close to Aunt Joyce over the years. Though, again, Uncle George was a pastor, and again, Aunt Joyce, a pastor's wife, and I would have had a lot to be able to talk about, but just time, and you know, that just time keeps trompsing on. But I had it in my heart. I said, you know, I want to go home to see Aunt Joyce. I haven't seen her in years and years and years. I know that this is one of the last times she'll come up, maybe the last time. She doesn't like to travel anymore. But again, she wanted to come up to see her sister. So I made a special point to get out there. And and, and what, what was really on my heart was, is she running the race well? I, really, that's what I kept thinking about. Is she ending well? Again, uh, Uncle George... Uh, was in the ministry for uh, 40-some years. He was actually an engineer by trade, went to school for that, got radically saved. Lord brought him to a man, a doctor, uh, a pastor in a church. He was there for one year, got discipled, and went out on his own pastoring. Never went to formal education. Uh, lived on the shoestring. They uh, adopted their first three children, and she said, you know, John, back in the 60s in Alabama, we lived on $25 a week. With three kids. And I said, well, I won't tell that story to the church. But anyway. But the point is, you know, did she run well? Did he run well? How did he end? Because I hadn't seen him in years. And again, he died last year. Um, she said, you know, he had Alzheimer's for about six years. He, he wasn't perfect through the process. No one is. There's frustrations or irritation. But I said, you know, did he ever swear? I don't know. I did 
You know, she said, John, he never did. He said he, he would quote Scripture all the time. He would be totally out of it, and all of a sudden Scripture would come in, and he would almost be like preaching, and then he would go out again. And, uh, you know, I said, yeah, he, he ended well. He ended well. I said, what about you? Are you bitter and angry? You know, sometimes at that age you, you get frustrated. She said, well, she said, life is not always easy. And she's had some real uh, trials, mountains. I said, well, what are you doing right now? She said, well, she said, I usually get up around four, not because of the alarm, just because that's when I get up. And she said, I, then I get all my books out. Uh, he, she loves Martin Lloyd-Jones, which if you know, he's, he was called the Doctor of England and a really great preacher. And she says, and I'm reading through Ephesians right now, and I got my Bible and my prayer. And she said, I'll, I'll usually do that from four to seven or eight. And I think she's ending well. And I'll tell you what, she just was, you know, you could just exuberant, you know, just talking about the Lord and this is what the Lord's doing. And I mean, again, I know that her life has been difficult in areas. I know years ago, one of the hardest things that they both endured was the the church kind of turned on them, that he had been there for like 31 years and they had a church split and some other things. And, and yet she looked at it and she said, you know, the Lord has his reasons. He said the Lord knew what was happening and, you know, just that perspective. The point is she didn't grow weary. She didn't lose heart, like verse 9 says. Again, Paul is encouraging the Galatians, don't lose heart. Well, before he said that, let's look at verse 7, because really 7 through 10 is one one chunk. He gives the command in verse 7, don't be deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Again, the command is don't be deceived. Don't be led away into thinking that the principle of harvest or of sowing and reaping isn't going to hold true in your life. Don't be deceived that somehow thinking you can get away from that. Again, the principle is this, you reap or you harvest what you sow, what you plant. Honestly, I think many of us think that that's not true. Some of us are deceived in right there. We think we can sow one thing and reap another. We think we can sow of the flesh, enjoy the, the, the things of the flesh, and somehow reap blessing. And that just is not true. And Paul says, don't be deceived. And, and, and you'd say, well, why is that true? Well, one, it's a law of nature. Many of you have planted lettuce seeds and you produce lettuce and then some radish seeds and you produce you, you would really get surprised if you planted lettuce seeds and all of a sudden tomato plants came up you know unless last year you had tomatoes in that area and you say oh I know why that came up because there was a tomato seed that survived the winter but it's a law of nature a man reaps what he sows but not only that but more importantly in this text it's because God is not mocked that's why it's true not only is it a law of nature, but it's because God is not mocked. Again, that word mocked means you can't turn your nose up at God. You can't say, well, listen, I'm going to beat the system. It's not going to happen. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. And he says, don't, you know, don't sow to the flesh because it reaps corruption both now and in eternity. And again, that word corruption was used of a de- decomposing body, decay. Whatever the flesh does, it just ends up being decay and corruption. But so to the Spirit. So to the Spirit. Let me throw out a couple thoughts there, new thoughts. Again, 
And this is what John Blanchard, uh, an uh, evangelist in England, said. I say that because he's a contemporary, but he's a very, very, you can see he's very astute in, in many of the things he says. But this is a pretty simple thought. All our activity is sowing, even our inactivity. See, when we say slow to the, slow to the flesh, we're not t- I'm not talking about the fact of necessarily always the negative. Sometimes it's simply our inactivity. You get up, you're rushing. You don't have time for God's word. You don't have time for prayer. You don't have time for meditation. You don't have time to be with people. You're sowing, even though it's just inactivity. It's not necessarily turning on the internet and looking at pornography. It's not necessarily um, sitting in your chair at night and just worrying and anxiety and fear about all the things that are possibly coming. Oh, that's sowing to the flesh too. But inactivity is also sowing to the flesh. Doing nothing. The other thing is this. Remember, it takes time to plant, but it also takes time to grow. I I really didn't say much about this last week. It takes time. You don't, what is it? You plant a a seed corn. I think it takes many of the types, it takes 90 days. You you would think a person is very immature if if one of your kids went out and said, "Well, Dad, you planted the corn yesterday. Where's the you know where's the corn to eat today?" It takes time to grow. I liked what one old Puritan said. He said, "Christians quote Christians frequently act like children in reference to the harvest. They would sow and reap in the same day." See. We sow, and sometimes because we don't seem to reap the benefit. Lord, I'm loving her like you tell me, but she's not loving me back. Oh, I guess it doesn't work. Well, I want to obey my parents, but I don't seem to be blessed. I guess it doesn't work (laughs) for a kid. Which then, this last third thought, and actually Brooke Norris told me this. She said, you know, remember, John, you may be in between harvests. I like that. See, you may have been sowing to the flesh and in, in, in activity and really not doing what you should be in the Word of God and praying, and you've, you know, wreaked the habit of corruption in the sense of you, no peace and no joy and, and seeing your life go down the wrong path. But maybe now you're saying, Lord, I want to do what's right. But you want all those benefits now. Now, sure, you can get the joy and the peace when you walk in with the Spirit. You can have that right now. But maybe the trust from your parents or the trust from your spouse may have to take time. You may be in between harvests. It may take some time. Don't lose heart. Because, again, God is not mocked. You're planting, and it takes time. Think about how long it took that oak tree or that maple tree before you can get sap. It takes time to grow. And we want to be, and see, that's where we lose heart because it takes time. Well, let me go on to the fourth thing. Actually, this is your first thing on your outline because I started with point four. The principle fulfilled. Again, don't grow weary. In doing good, and the good, we'll look at next week, is in verse 10. If you have an opportunity to do good to all, especially of the household of faith, it's doing good to other believers. That's the good there. But what does it mean to grow weary? Let me just, it again, means to grow faint, to lose heart, to be exhausted, to give up. Let me make sure we understand too. Many times in Scripture, 
God encourages us not to lose heart. But there's also many times that he tells us to work, to be exhausted for the gospel. And you might say, well, those seem to be, you know, antithetical. He's telling us don't be exhausted, but then he also says at times labor. The idea is this, make sure you're laboring for the right person. It's the motivation. It's that I'm doing this for you, Lord. I'm not doing it for myself. Many times we labor, even in the Christian ministry, for ourselves. And that's when we can truly grow weary. We grow weary with people. They irritate us. They frustrate us. Why? Because, well, I, I thought I was going to get the benefits of them understanding and following me. And yada, yada, yada. You know, it goes on and on. This word weary was used in, the, in Greek. It was a term that was used to describe something, quote, that had gone slack like an unstrung bow. You have a bow and it's slack. It's no longer useful. It's gone slack. Some of us, he's saying, listen, don't go slack in your Christian walk. Have you gone slack in your Christian walk? Sometimes when we first get saved, it's, I remember I, uh, for a while there I did go slack. Uh, I got saved back... In fact, someone called me this last week. It was actually Josiah Stearns. He said, happy birthday. And I said, well, thank you, Josiah, but it's not my birthday. Actually, my birthday's coming up. But I thought, well, I'll just humor him. And he said, well, happy birthday. And I said, well, thank you. He said, actually, I'm referring to your spiritual birthday. Because I was, I was uh, born again July 21st, 1975. I remember after getting saved... I just knew I needed to get in the Word of God, and I wanted to. So I started out with Genesis and fizzled out somewhere in Leviticus. I I just didn't, I didn't, because I didn't understand certain principles. I needed to go to the New Testament. I needed to get certain things settled. Thankfully, a pastor came along and actually uh, discipled me. But again, I had become, I had gone slack for a little time in my life. This idea of growing weary, um, you could also use the word burnout if you want to use a have you ever felt burned out where you lack enthusiasm you are exhausted, perplexed, dispirited dissatisfied, joyless as one said the feel, they feel overwhelmed paralyzed by their inadequacy and unable to be active and involved as they once were feelings of indifference apathy, lack of motivation sometimes even virtual paralysis. You know, you can have, when you say burnout, usually you're talking physically, but that can happen spiritually. I mean, again, I'm primarily talking in the spiritual realm, actually uh, completely speaking in the the spiritual realm. You can lose your edge, as it were, with walking with Christ, with the excitement, enthusiasm, walking with the Lord. Maybe you can lose your enthusiasm with your marriage or parenting of serving others. You may tell the story and say, well, but I did that for 15, 20 years, but I'm not going there again. You know, we uh, have just had our church directories. I hope, uh, by the way, pick one up if you, uh, as you leave, they're right on the right-hand side. But I, I thought it was interesting. I thought, well, I'll go back to an old church directory. This is back from 1992. And I started looking at some of the pictures. And some people are running really well. Boy, some have really changed. But then I started looking at some of the pictures and I thought, 
Yeah, he was unfaithful. And, oh, a lot of them died. <laughs> they were actually with the Lord. But, but then you start looking, you say, man, no, they didn't run well, and she didn't run well, and, and there were frustration. Thankfully, they left. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's, it's actually sad. When you start looking at a 20-year-old directory and saying, a number of them are no longer with their spouses. They're no longer serving the Lord. They're not even, they don't even want connection with God's people. A lot of people grow weary. And they will reap, but it's not what they were hoping for. And they did teach Sunday school, and we're Olympian leaders and Awana leaders. And, but, you know, it's not, it, again, the, the, the Christian life is a marathon. The opposite of growing weary is in Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I, I want to make sure we understand. I said this last week. You know, you may have made some very tough, wrong choices. Let's say wrong, not tough. Wrong choices. But you know what? Following Christ is about fresh starts and new beginnings. And no matter where you find yourself today, you can start sowing to the Spirit as of today. Right? Now, you may have consequences that you'll have to continue to endure but you can also sense the peace and the joy of walking with God. Now, if you looked at that word and you started tracing it, what's interesting, in Scripture there are, there are at least three words that one of one is this one and two other ones that all have to do with losing heart, being weary, faint-hearted. And like when Jesus said in Luke 18, Jesus encouraged his disciples, he encouraged his disciples that men always ought to pray and not to lose heart. In fact, one of the symptoms of losing heart is that you're not praying. And that's both a cause and effect. Stop praying, lose heart. Lose heart, stop praying. They kind of work together. Are you praying? Because you're heading down the wrong path if you're not. Um... Another, this is a different word actually, but it's, it's uh, when Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus in Revelation ver- chapter 2, he said this, And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. That's a whole different word, but the same idea. Don't become wearied. That was a whole church. He said, you haven't wearied for me. Uh, they did lose their first love, but they, they weren't weary. They were doing things, but yet perhaps not for the right reason. Again, the Bible has a lot to say about this subject, but if you add on other words such as patience, be patient, run long, endurance, perseverance, you might say, well, why? Why does God keep bringing this up? Because he does. He brings it up, seems like, in every epistle. It seems like continually he's bringing it up to us. Don't, don't, don't get off track. Run well to the end. Run the race well. Why? Because God knows it is very common for believers to be fatigued. By the way, are you? (laughs) Are you tired? Overwhelmed? To experience times of being joyless and apathetic and disengaged disengaged and unenthusiastic and just plain exhausted. And yet God says, continue on. Endure. Continue serving my people. Continue uh, pursuing me as the deer pants after water. 
continue down that path. I'm glad I can preach this today because, again, we're kind of in the middle and summers are supposed to be down times and it's usually good to tell a person something we need to do when it's down time. But even during this downtime, you may find, you may be saying this, boy, I thought the summer was going to be so relaxing and it's already half gone and, man, and we have VBS tomorrow? Let me turn to another question. What are the causes of growing weary? What are some of the causes? Why do we get weary? Well, part of it is just humans are weak. It's not easy to maintain spiritual vitality. Do we understand that, by the way, that it's a war? It's easy to just kind of do your own thing and and not have the fortification of the Spirit of God working through our lives to walk with Him. Another reason we get wearied is because we're tempted to sin. And you know, when we sin, what happens? We break fellowship with God at that moment. First John says that. And now we're trying to do the ministry. We're trying to love our wives and serve our husbands and raise our children, what? On our own strength. Sin will make you grow weary. Sometimes it's the sin itself. We, we, sometimes weariness is self-inflicted. It's caused because we are people pleasers. Uh, we want to please people. We want to... Many times it's just plain pride. I, I've been reading this little booklet. It's called Burned Out. Trusting God with your to-do list. And uh, it's about a guy named Bob. What's interesting is Bob, I could see some characteristics. You know, Bob, because of his fear and anxiety of pleasing others and thinking he can do it the best himself, this is what, this is what happened to Bob. He became a functional atheist. We mean functional atheist. He wasn't really depending on God. Everything had to go through him. Why? Because he did it the best. Couldn't really trust people. If I don't do it, who will? was a prideful claim of self-sufficiency and a lament that God had placed too much on his shoulders. Not only that, but Bob had a distorted view of God. What would others think of me if I stopped doing all these things? I I hesitate to, to bring Bob up because sometimes our best workers in the church are Bob's. See, fear and, fear and anxiety many times drives it. I won't bore you with all the different facts, although it's very interesting. If you ever have a Bob in your life, you need to get one of these. I'll get a few of them. One of the suggestions is that we need to repent of our pride that says, if I don't do it, who will? We are a strange mixture of fear, pride, and rebellion. Fear and inadequacy are not the opposites of pride, but it's fruit. Let me read that last thing again. Fear and inadequacy are not the opposites of pride. Being, feeling inadequate is not the opposite of pride. It's the fruit of it. Pride drives our attempts to fix problems ourselves rather than accepting what God has done. Pride tells us to trust in ourselves rather than God. That's why he's an atheist. He's a functional atheist. He could be a believer. Why do I bring this up? Because, see, by the way, I'm all for working hard. I am all for working hard. Paul is very clear in Timothy. You should labor to the point of exhaustion. But the point is labor with God working with you and through you. Okay? 
And sometimes we inflict our own injuries. We, we take on too much simply because we want to please people. By the way, that's very hard for people to live with people like that. My wife has at times had it hard because I've sought, I think, to uh, please people. Why else do we grow weary, though? I mean, it's not just self-inflicted. There's a lot of other reasons. One is maybe because of opposition. Sometimes we get opposition from the very people you are trying to help. And you say, oh, it's just not worth it. Or you look at the uh, church directory and you say, look at how much time I poured into that person's life right there. And now they're gone. Just save my time. Let me just go play golf. Well, I'll give you another one. The sheer immensity of it, of people's needs. Just the sheer immensity. I mean, again, well, I mean, if you go into tax, uh, verse 1, there are people who are overtaking a fault. You've got to go... There are people who need their burden. Their burdens bore. We've got to help them. I mean, there's always someone to help, someone to restore, someone to love, someone to bear their burdens. I mean, who has the time and energy to help everyone? Sometimes it's just, ah, I just give up. Well, again, that's where the body, you know, we're not called to meet everyone's need. We're called to meet the needs that we can through God's Spirit. And sometimes it's just basically a lack of true commitment. We grow weary because we're really not committed to what we're doing in the first place. Again, genuine fellowship requires commitment. if, If we really believe that we're in fellowship, it really does require commitment. I need to be committed. I need to be committed to true fellowship. I need to be committed to the fact that you're my brother and sister in Christ and we're here to minister together. That's what Paul says in Philippians 1.5, because our partnership, our fellowship in the gospel from the first day to now, in other words, they were committed to true fellowship, tr- truly committed to the one another's. I think of uh, different couples in this church that, that have been here since the beginning. I'll point out just one, not to embarrass them, but just to say, can you imagine what they could write about fellowship and ministering and commitment to one another? I think of Lee and Donna. They were here at the very beginning. What's 1975? Something like that. <laughs> It'd be interesting if they had kept notes. Wouldn't it be interesting to, to think about, they've been here 36 years. They could write a book, I'm sure, of the commitment to fellowship. They haven't burned out. They're still running. Maybe they're not running as fast, although you tell me that you're retired, and I I doubt it. (laughs) I still see them putting out a lot of energy. But you know what? There was a commitment to the fellowship. And I've been in a lot of elders' meetings with Lee, and I know a lot of the situations and issues, and yet they continue on, right? Why? Because they are committed to the fellowship. Genuine fellowship requires commitment. James McDonald says this, there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness, and that requires commitment. The greater glory goes to Jesus Christ, not when we, are, uh, not when we take our marbles and go home, but because he is Lord and Savior. The greater glory goes to Jesus Christ when we pursue and persevere in relationships in spite of the shortcomings that we see in another. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about growing in love together for the glory of Jesus Christ. No, that's right. 
And if you have a commitment to the body, a commitment to fellowship, partnership, that right there starts to eliminate burnout because you see the goal. Okay, Lord, I'm here to love. So that's why some of the reasons. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why people quit. And again, I would encourage you, ask yourself, am I, am I a quitter? Am I one who is starting to break away and it's becoming less, I'm less enthusiastic and I'm becoming more and more, I question and I'm frustrated. And Well, what are the consequences in growing weary? What are the consequences? I see I'm almost out of time. But if you go over to Ephesians chapter 3, I've, I really got to go to Ephesians and Isaiah 40, just very quickly on both. But Ephesians chapter 3, let me give you three things that happen. Ephesians chapter 3. Again, a marvelous church. And Paul says in verse 13, and it's really in the middle of the passage of verse 8 to 21. And he says this in verse 13, Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart. Again, same exact word as do not grow weary. I ask that you don't lose heart. And you have to ask, well, why is the therefore, therefore? And it really brings you all the way back to verse 1, but primarily to verse 8. And, and what he does here is he gives us what, what, what is happening to a person who does start to lose heart. What is happening in their heart? The first thing I would say this, number one, those who lose heart often lose their eternal perspective on their labors. Look at verse 8. To me, well, let's go to verse 7, of which I became a minister according to the gift of, grace, of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Verse 8, to me who am less than the rest of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And if you start going through that passage, you can see how he keeps going back to himself, not in pride, but saying it this way. Can you believe it? The eternal riches, the mystery has been given to me, has been given to us to be able to proclaim to the Gentiles. In other words, a person who loses heart loses their eternal perspective. A person that is running well understands the eternal perspective. Hey, listen, we have the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the gospel. The gospel being that sinners can be forgiven based on the sacrifice of Christ. Has that, have you lost the, the awe of that? You've been given the good news. When you get that perspective, it's hard to lose heart. Wait, 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 wait. I have been given something that many never will understand. Most will never understand. I have been given the understanding of how to have a right relationship with God through Christ. I have been given, I have been given as the gift, not only salvation, but I'm a child of the King. See, Paul is saying, listen, this is all that I have, and this is all that I have that has been given to you. And now I'm asking you, based on those truths, therefore, don't lose heart. Very often when believers become burned out and grow weary, they forget what a privilege it is to serve God and to be his witness. We forget it is such a great privilege to serve the King of Kings. 
That's why in verse 14 he says, For this reason I bow my knee, I'm praying for you, look at verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with with might through his spirit in the inner man. I am praying that you're really going to grab a hold of these truths, get an eternal perspective, finish well. Look at number point number two. Those who lose heart often lose a sense of Christ's presence in their heart. Verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. By the way, Christ dwells in every heart that has been that has repented and received him. So what does he mean when he says that Christ may dwell in your heart? Well, he goes on, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's not just about Christ being in our heart, but about understanding that Christ deeply loves you. Sometimes we, yes, I'm, I'm a believer, but I don't experientially understand how much Jesus Christ loves John Prince. That's why he says, the width, the length, the depth, the height. So he says, I want you to comprehend that. That word means to lay hold of. I want you to know the vastness of Christ's love for you. I'm a pastor of a number of years, and and I'm challenged by that right there. Do I really understand how deeply Jesus Christ loves me? Do you? Because that will stabilize, that will make you run long. It's like a wife whose husband truly loves her, but she doesn't feel it. She doesn't get it. And she sometimes doesn't trust and some other things because even though he does, because Jesus does, sometimes we don't connect with that. We need to connect with that. And again, it's only through his word. So, get an eternal perspective. When you lose hearts, you lose that. Many times when you grow weary, you start losing how much Christ truly loves you, how much he loves his people. That's why I'm willing to serve his people. And then finally, number three, those who lose heart often lose the fullness of God in their heart. It says, second part of verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That word filled is exactly the same word as be filled by the Spirit. The idea is this. When it says be filled with the Spirit, it means controlled. Be controlled by the fullness of God. Be controlled by that principle. You be filled, you be controlled with all the fullness of God. In other words, not only Christ's love, but understand who God is, who Christ is, his attributes. To be able to understand his peace and his joy and his love. This is what the flesh does. It makes our view of God small. And what he's saying there is make, be in the word so your view of God is huge. That it controls you. That you have your focus on him. And by the way, when you get your focus on the fullness of God, then you're understanding his power. The fact of his omniscience that he sees. You can't get away with it. You can't mock him. His majesty. When you come and sing, it's from your heart because I see, I understand God. The greater the fullness of God, the greater you understand his wisdom and kindness. 
It just strengthens you. And that's why there's no mistake here that verse 20, look at that, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, he had just told them, don't lose heart. He says, but man, if you have your eyes focused on Christ, his love, if you understand eternal perspective, if you're filled with God and really understanding who he is, what he wants to do, he will strengthen you. He will strengthen you. And weariness, which can be very destructive to us, to ministry, to others around us, just gets, man, I'm serving God. It's a privilege to serve the king. Those are some of the things that can happen once you start growing weary. weary. It's funny, I, over the years being here for 20-some years, I've talked to people who, this is what's always amazing me, I have talked to people who were so focused on teaching and serving God, and then you get them down here because of sin or because of perspective, and you talk to them two or three years later, and you would think it was a whole different person. What has happened to you? They lost their eternal perspective. They lost who Christ was. I don't mean they're unsaved. Many times they are true believers in Christ, but their perspective has changed. Well, let's just quickly go to Isaiah 40. How can we keep strength in the Lord? How can we keep? Very familiar verse. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I think it's important to say that I believe in Isaiah 40, there's a change. I, the, the prophet is now talking. That's actually a division in the book. And he's talking about the tribes that were going to Babylon. And he's prophesying this to them before they ever left, but he's prophesying to them as though they were already there in captivity. So they're talk, he's talking to people who have not yet been in captivity, saying, listen, well, I just want you to know that when you go... You can depend on the Lord. And if you wait on Him, if you trust in Him, your strength can be, uh, you can be strengthened even though you're in captivity. You get the point? Even though your life is tough, you can see God's strength in your life. So what's the solution to growing weary? It's waiting on the Lord. By the way, the word wait means to look for, hope in, expect lean on, trust in. But he says this, you wait on, now catch this, the Lord. That's real important. Jehovah. Jehovah in the Old Testament was, i.e., the covenant-keeping God. You can trust him. That's what Isaiah is saying. You need to trust in the covenant-keeper, the one you can trust in. I can't trust a lot of people. I mean, it's hard to trust people. I'm not saying you guys in particular. I'm just saying people in general. But you can trust the Lord. You can trust the Lord. And look at this. If you trust in the Lord, if you depend on Him, He will, first of all, renew your strength. Now again, He's talking to people who are going to be going off into captivity, losing everything back home, families being split up. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. He's talking to us who are pilgrims, aliens in this world, who have problems and situations and frustrations with others and trials in life, right? And He says, listen, you can trust in the Lord. You can wait on Him. And He will renew your strength. The word renew is a verb. It's in the causative. In other words, your strength is going to be new, but it's not going to be your strength. It's going to be the Lord's strength in you. 
He doesn't just remodel you. He gives you His strength. You trust in Him, He'll give you your strength. And as a believer, I found this interesting. This, this word renewed was used in Genesis 41, verse 14. And it was used of Joseph. It says this, Then, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. Now think about this. Joseph was in a dungeon. And he shaved, and this is the word, changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. That's the word renewed. Joseph came out of the pit, the dungeon, where all the excrement was. He hadn't taken a shower for probably months. And Pharaoh wants to see him. Now, do you think, do you honestly think there's any possible way that all the jailer did was say, well, listen, I'm just going to patch up your clothing, Joseph, and you're going to then go see the the head guy of Egypt, the Pharaoh. No, no. You're going to take a new bath. You're going to take a bath. You're going to shave, and I'm going to give you a whole new set of clothes. Now, why do I say all that? Because that word renewed means that, just new You're going to have new strength. It's not your strength that's just been strengthened. It's going to be God's strength. Are you in a situation, a trial, a circumstance, a relationship? Very hard, and maybe that's what's creating weariness. We need to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, you need to take care of this, and I need strength that is totally beyond me. Renewed strength. How about this one? Next one. And you will get renewed enthusiasm. They will mount up with wings like eagles. What do eagles do? Eagles fly over the mountains and the valleys and the plains. And they can fly for a long time. But the, the idea there is above. Yes, God will take you through the circumstance, but it's as though you were looking down on it because now you have new strength and the whole perspective, and you have, there will be a new enthusiasm. You might even say this, these words. The circumstance is the same, but the way I'm responding is totally different. Or the way they're responding is totally... Well, like, take the star in Hans. She knew how to push the buttons, but his strength was coming from a different source. Renewed strength, renewed enthusiasm, and finally renewed endurance. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. People who don't wait on the Lord find it hard to persevere. Oh, they find it very, very difficult to persevere. But those who wait on the Lord, and I'm going to use clothes of my Aunt Joyce, though she's gone through a lot, and she's had a number of disappointments in her life. Not with her husband, but with other things. But here's a godly lady who still is pursuing Jesus Christ. And she's getting her strength every day from the word and prayer. And the glow is on her face, right? And you would say, that is not because of her. It's not because of her upbringing. It's not because she was a pastor's wife. What is it? It's because she's walking with God. She's waiting on the Lord. That's what it is. And there's a living example. Yes, we, we can finish strong. God wants us to finish strong. But we, we have to just make sure that we're truly focused on him, that we're serving not for our own selfish ambition, but we're serving the Lord. We are truly seeking to serve the Lord. Is that on your heart today? If you find yourself saying, boy, I'm tired, is it physical exhaustion or is it maybe partly spiritual? If it is, 
Go to Him. Just as we're standing. In fact, you can stand right now. And before you even sing a word, I would encourage you, Lord, I need Your strength. I need Your enthusiasm for ministry. I I need Your endurance. I can't do it, Lord, without You. I can't do it without You, Lord. Lord, I repent because I've been trying to do it without You. And you know what? When I do that, then things around me start to irritate and frustrate. But Lord, I want to do it for you.